When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is God's word for us today. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we pray that as we bring this series to a close, you would help us to see, to behold the work of redemption that you have been paving the way for so incredibly, so patiently, so graciously over the course of, of history. God, would you help us to see with, with greater clarity today uh, the work that you are trying to get done in the world. And God, we just ask that you would, you would stir our hearts to be a part of that and that you would just give us clarity of, of just simple next steps of obedience to how we can be a part of it uh, as a church. We love you. We trust you, God. We believe that you can do incredible things greater than we could imagine. But for now, we just ask that you would help us to see why in your word and, and help us to get clarity as to how uh, as we go as a church here. We pray these things together now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember, I began this series by telling the story of one of my very first memories at our sending church, at Grace Church, when I was a kid, about 13 or 14 years old. It was a missions Sunday uh, with the flags of all these different kinds of nations scattered across the stage. We were singing songs in different languages. And uh, at the age of about 13, uh, if you remember, I was tremendously confused by all of this. I had no clue what we were doing. Um, but maybe you've related to that. And I hope this series has helped to sort of work out that confusion in us as to why we do this. But what I want to do this morning is to show you another picture. I want to fast forward in my life a little bit to a picture of, of me with two men that I really admire a great deal. Um, one of them's name is Jerry, Pastor Jerry. He's the shorter of the two men in this picture with me. Uh, Pastor Jerry led through that missions Sunday back when I was 13 or 14. He was the lead pastor of Grace Church. And uh, toward the end of his life, he became a dear friend and a mentor to me. He also served as the chairman of the board for South America Missions, this missions agency there in South America for 20 years. And so um, this is him with me. Uh, and then with us as well is Dave Simmons, who's a missionary to the jungles of Peru. And in this photo, we're actually standing in front of a local church association, their building, in a city called Pucallpa, Peru. It's sort of this central river town, but it's surrounded by jungles. 
Uh, and the jungle there is about the size of California, they told me. And that jungle is filled with tribal people groups that speak all kinds of different languages, many of whom uh, are not reached. Dave here in the middle has spent most of his life as a pilot uh, flying missionaries into this jungle uh, to plant churches among them. About 30 years ago, Grace Church, so our sending church in Racine, Wisconsin, sent a short-term missions team to build this building uh, for this association of local churches scattered throughout these jungles. And they, these churches traveled to Picopa, and they used this building, even still to this day, for theological education and to collaborate as an association. They host all kinds of meetings and events and retreats there. Um, Pastor Jerry took me, and just me, it was just him and I, on this trip, and he took me on this trip to show me a biblical vision of missions in person. I'll always be grateful for him doing that. It was on this trip that I began to see the dots connect myself uh, between the story of Scripture and the work of missions. And, And this is my hope for us as a church with this series, maybe even today as we bring this series to a close, that the point of missions would sort of click into focus for us a bit more. We've spent a lot of time talking about the Bible in this series, and some of you have very kindly and graciously asked, when are we going to get to the missions stuff? Uh, But I hope you'll see today that we have been talking about missions all along. It's just that this work begins with God. And it does not begin with us. And we are, if we are to make sense of what we are to go and to do in all the world, we first have to see and understand what God has been trying to get done in all the world from the very beginning. And so before we jump in today, I just want to give us a brief recap, just kind of a little drive by it. Let's recap where we've been so far, okay? So first we saw that all nations belong to our God. He created the very first two people in his image to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth with his glory. That's what it means to reflect his image. But instead, they rebelled against him in sin, and they, they filled the earth with sin, with violence, with death, and, then, and eventually with a world full of raging nations, different people groups kind of warring against each other. But God refused to give up on these nations. They still belong to him And the hope of the entire Old Testament is that they would remember and turn back to him. Then we saw that the nations have a king. And to fix this, God promised to raise up a chosen nation of his own in the Old Testament, Israel. And through them, we saw he's paved the way for his son, Jesus Christ, to come as this eternal heavenly king to conquer all sin so that all of us can be ruled and reigned over by him that he would rule all nations, and he did. He died. He rose again in victory over sin and death so that all who trust in him can be rescued, listen, out of the raging nations and into this eternal kingdom of God. We saw last week that this king, Jesus, has a church. Jesus didn't just ascend into heaven and leave us to fend for ourselves here. He entrusted his kingdom on earth to local churches like ours, made of people who worship King Jesus and who live together and trying to live like him together. These local churches are like embassies, if you will, of heaven. They represent a different kingdom here 
on earth. We represent the rule and the reign of King Jesus on earth. And this is how the world is supposed to tell the difference between the raging nations and the kingdom of God. Somehow, somehow, we'll see today, it is through these churches that Christ himself is working to redeem the raging nations. It's been a wild ride, right? So the nations belong to our God. Those nations have a king. That king has a church, which brings us to the final act of this series, if you will, that is the church has a mission. Today, I just want to consider how does God use the church to advance his kingdom on earth? How does he do that? In other words, what are these local churches supposed to do? Right? We've been rescued out of the raging nations into King Jesus' church, and that's great. Uh, but what do we need to do to see others welcomed in as well? How does this heavenly kingdom actually get to spreading in all parts of the world? Today we're going to look at the story of the New Testament, especially after Christ's death and resurrection. And what we're going to see is that there are three priorities that define the mission of the church. Three things that are the top priority of any true gospel-believing church. We're going to see that God has called all local churches to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, and to multiply local churches. To proclaim the gospel, make disciples, and, and multiply local churches. This, I'm going to argue, is the mission of the church. Uh, we are going to spend most of our time looking at the New Testament to see why these three things should be the top priority of any true local church. And then, then, in the second half of the sermon, we are finally going to talk about what we are going to do as a church to see these three things happen, not just here in Tosa, but in all the world. And by then, by then, I hope you will see why all this talk about the Bible is really going to pay off uh, in giving us a better understanding of the work of missions. But first, again, the king has a church. The church has a mission. So what is that mission? First priority is, number one, to proclaim the gospel. So again, we're just going to look at the sweep of the New Testament to see why is that, right? And to be honest, it's pretty simple. <laughs> Jesus says in Matthew 24, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so there you go. It's a pretty compelling case uh, for this priority in about like five seconds. <laughs> uh, this is what Jesus has said. It's, it is not hard to see that proclaiming the gospel is absolutely essential to the mission of the church. If we do everything else the Bible tells us to do, but we don't go to tell people that King Jesus died and rose again to redeem them out of the raging nations and into the kingdom of God, if we do everything else but we don't do that, we are failing in our mission. Now, we are called also to be doers of the word. Absolutely. And that really matters. Uh, our love for one another within the church, for instance, is meant to make God's invisible love visible in and through us and among us. Absolutely. We saw that very clearly in our series through 1 John. And yet, we also saw this. By this we know that love to begin with, he says, 
not that we loved him, but that he loved us, that he laid down his life for us. And this, church, is the message of the gospel. I want you to notice it's not about what we do in the world. It's about what he has done to redeem the world. The kingdom will never come on earth as it is in heaven if King Jesus' church does not proclaim this good news, does not proclaim the gospel. And, and we see this priority emerge right away in the book of Acts, right in the beginning of the story. So I want you to try and picture this. Jesus has just risen from the dead, and he's here on the earth with his disciples, resurrected. Here's what the disciples ask him. It's really interesting. In chapter 1, verse 6 of the book of Acts, it says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You see why they would ask him that? Right? Because we've seen already that they were expecting the earthly kingdom. Right? And so they're asking him, like, now is it time? Right? Is it time to, to conquer the Roman Empire and to get to this whole earthly kingdom? Can, can we do that yet? Can, can we start to, like, rule over the raging nations like, like now? Wouldn't that be great? Let's get to work, Jesus. What are we supposed to do here? Jesus basically says, slow down there, partners, okay? Uh, my father's going to handle the timing of that. Let's just uh, not worry about the timing. But here, I have a better idea. I have a better idea. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he says, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and, into, and to the end, rather, of the earth. Now, what is, what is a witness? <laughs> what does a witness do? They testify, right? They open their mouths. They use their words to share some important account of what they know to be true. And this is what Jesus is calling his church to do in all the world. It's to bear witness. It's to testify. It's to proclaim the good news that he is the triumphant king of all nations. This is exactly what happens next in chapter 2. This is fascinating. This is one of my favorite details in the Bible, actually. So when this happened, there was a festival going on in Jerusalem that week. And, and so Jews from all the surrounding nations, Jews who have been scattered, who speak now different languages, were gathered together in, in Jerusalem. And there's this miraculous movement of the Spirit. He empowers his disciples to speak in tongues, and that is in different known languages that none of them actually knew. And when all these Jews who spoke all these different languages heard these Galileans speaking in their native tongue, they heard them and they said, What's going on here? How, how could this be? It's really interesting, actually. In, in Acts, they even say, have they been drinking? <laughs> That's actually what it says in the book of Acts, chapter 1. That's the Bible. Um, but let's just consider, let's just consider here what God is doing in the story of Pentecost. Some, I've heard, refer to this as the unbabbling of Babel. <laughs> um, in the Tower of Babel, God scatters mankind into all kinds of different nations, and he confuses their language. And here he's doing the exact opposite. At Pentecost, God has gathered these Jews from all the nations surrounding Jerusalem, and he's empowering his disciples to speak in tongues so that these surrounding nations actually can understand the gospel. And so clearly I want you to see what God's doing here. Clearly proclaiming this message is front and center in God's strategy to rescue the nations. 
And that's because the key to our redemption is this word-based message about King Jesus. It's the gospel. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that the gospel I preach to you, he says, is of first importance. That made my job really easy today. That's why this is the first point in the sermon. It's of first importance, he says. And throughout the rest of Acts, wherever the apostles go, it says they preached the gospel. They proclaimed the word. They told people about the kingdom. Now, of course, Paul becomes a really important figure in the book of Acts. God calls him to take the gospel to the raging nations, to the Gentile world, all those who are not Jewish. It's another way of saying the raging nations of the world. And in our reading today that Danielle did for us, he even explained why preaching this gospel was so central to his calling as a missionary to do this work. Let's just read it again. It'll be on the screen. He said this. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, right? People in the Old Testament didn't understand how this was all going to work, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here he says, the, here's the mystery, he says. The, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. In other words, that all these raging nations of the earth now have access to the covenant God of Israel in a way that they've never had before because these nations now have a king and this king has gone to great lengths to include them in the kingdom of God, which is why next he says that these Gentiles now are members of the same body, the church, and partakers of this promise. He says, listen how, in Christ Jesus, through the gospel, through the good news that he is king. This is why the gospel needs to be our top priority if we want to see the nations remember and turn to our God. It has to be because it is through the gospel that the raging nations are redeemed out of the world and into the kingdom of God. It is this gospel that redeems sinful people like us and gathers them into this church that Jesus has promised to build. And so this is priority number one. This is the number one priority of the church's mission is to proclaim the gospel. Next priority is to make disciples. This also, pretty easy case to make because it's exactly what Jesus told us to do in the Great Commission, right? He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me because you know what I mean, I'm the king of all nations. And then he says, go therefore, go for that reason and, and make disciples of all nations. Now, a disciple is, is simply a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the idea is really simple and it's really clear. We're supposed to go into all the world to find people who are not followers of Jesus Christ and to help them live as followers of Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to see here first is that there is certainly some overlap between these different priorities, right? Uh, you really can't do one faithfully without the other. They're not neat little categories that are totally independent uh, because no one is truly a disciple unless they've heard the gospel and been transformed by it. Unless they believe and trust in the gospel. This is really important. Jesus told Nicodemus, he says, unless one is born again in a spiritual sense, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we can't be a disciple of King Jesus unless we've heard and been transformed by the gospel of King Jesus. And yet, if we just preach the gospel without actually helping people to follow Jesus, without teaching them to observe all that he's commanded, in a way, we're also failing at our mission. That, that is not a full picture of what Christ has called us to do. And so I want you to see that discipleship is about helping these citizens of heaven who believe in the gospel of King Jesus to transform the way that they live so that their life will look increasingly like King Jesus and so that the life of the local churches will increasingly represent and reflect the kingdom of heaven. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4. He says to that church, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. In other words, he gave the church all these different kinds of leaders with different kinds of gifts. And here's why he did that. He says, to equip the saints, the rest of the members of the church, for the work of ministry. And here's why. For the building up of the body of Christ, he says until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this is what we're after in discipleship. We're after all of us sharing our lives with one another as fellow citizens of this kingdom, using the spiritual gifts that God has given us to become more and more like King Jesus. And so I want us to see that the mission of the church is not just to go get people saved and then wish them the best as they, as they go on worshiping Jesus on their own. No. The, the mission of the church is to preach the gospel and to call people into discipling relationships uh, where we can help one another to follow Jesus. Now, this is where a lot of people stop. Frankly, this is where a lot of churches might, that would be the beginning of the sermon series. Then we talk about short-term mission trips and everything else for the whole sermon series. They basically say, well, look, that's what missions is about, preaching the gospel, making disciples. And now everybody just go everywhere and just do this, however you feel God might be leading you to do it. Right? They sort of skip over the, the, the second act of our play, the, the king has a church, which we saw last week, and to many people, missions just becomes sending Christians into the world to do tons of great stuff for Jesus. Now, I want to be really clear about this. I am very much for all kinds of people doing all kinds of stuff for King Jesus. Please don't get me wrong. I think there's a place for most, if not all, of that work, but I want us to see if we just look carefully at the New Testament, God's vision for this work is so much more specific than that. It really is. He has a lot more to say than that because in the New Testament, so much time, attention, and energy is devoted to this, our third priority, which is to multiply local churches. And again, I want you to see there's meant to be some overlap here because in the fellowship of local churches is where most of this disciple-making is supposed to happen. Uh, we saw last week that this mission doesn't just belong to us as individuals. It belongs to us together, collectively, as the members of a local church. But more than that, today, what I want you to see is that the mission itself involves multiplying these local churches. 
Uh, in the book of Acts, as Paul and the apostles went around preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ uh, to the Gentiles, and as people repented and trusted in Christ, they, were, they gathered these new disciples into local churches. And these local churches become the focal point of the entire book of Acts. They actually become the background, the, the, the intended audience of the rest of the New Testament. These become the recipients, these local churches, of Paul's letters, which make up the majority of the New Testament. That's when you pick up your Bible to read your devotionals, you're looking at Philippians. <laughs> That's what you're reading is a letter to one of these churches. I want to see this in the book of Acts. For example, in Acts 15, we read that Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, plural. In Acts 16, we read, quote, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. We can see these churches are important to the story. In his letters, Paul refers to the churches in the plural sense in this way. In other words, not just the universal church, a bunch of people everywhere, but actual local churches. He uses that phrase, the churches, 20 times in his New Testament epistles. Here are just a few examples of this so we can see how Paul thought about multiplying churches. In Romans 16, he tells that local church there, all the churches of Christ greet you. In, in 1 Corinthians, after he gives this church some really specific instructions, he tells them, this is my rule in all the churches. And then in 2 Corinthians, he really opens up about some of his personal stress in ministry. And here's what he says. He says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And so clearly the multiplication of these local churches like ours here was central to Paul's missionary task. In fact, this is, as, as Paul says, the mystery of the gospel, hidden from ages but revealed to us in Christ. It's that all nations can now be redeemed into these local churches to follow King Jesus with us together by the power of the gospel. And for that reason, church, I'm just convinced this is the mission of the church. Above all else, God is calling us to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, and to multiply local churches. And wherever you see healthy churches, wherever you find them, you will find Christians working together to do this. But I want you to listen very carefully here. <laughs> this is where the rubber starts to meet the road of our missions series. This is where we're getting to the good stuff here. Everything I've told us in this series up to this point was designed so that I can tell you everything I'm about to tell you from this point, that it would actually make sense to you. The first thing I want to tell you is this. Not everyone who does these three things is doing missions. Not in a New Testament sense. You may have noticed I've actually given my life to these three things to preaching the gospel, making disciples, and multiplying churches. We even moved our family here to Wauwatosa to start this church, a new church. Uh, many of you, hopefully, I, I trust, have chosen to worship at Redemption because we prioritize these three things. Absolutely. But I want to tell you today, I am not a missionary. And, and we are not doing missions here in Wauwatosa. Not in the classic New Testament sense. And here's why. Here's our big idea for today. Because missions is about taking the mission of the church to 
reached nations. Think with me on this. This is, this is the whole reason King Jesus came and entrusted us with the keys to the kingdom. This is why he promised to build his church and then sent us out to make disciples of all nations because we have to take his gospel to these nations. We have to make disciples among these nations and we have to gather those disciples into local churches that can join us in this unfolding work of redemption, in this mission. Just, just think with me about this for a minute. In Paul's day... Every nation on earth was unreached. The gospel had just become a thing, if you can imagine. So everywhere he preached the gospel, no one had ever heard it before. Every disciple he made was among the first few disciples within that nation, within that people group. Most of the churches he helped to plant were the very first local churches in their community, in their nation. And as you read the book of Acts, you'll see as soon as these local churches were established, Paul and the rest of the apostles did a couple things really interesting. First, they appointed elders to carry on the work of this mission uh, on their own, to take ownership of it as a church. And then they did something also really interesting. They left. <laughs> they, they moved on. And here's why. Because missions is about crossing cultural, ethnic, and linguistic barriers to preach the gospel among those who have never heard it and never would unless someone came to them. Missions is about making disciples in places where no one or very few people follow him. It's about multiplying churches where there are no sending churches to do this. It's about taking God's redemptive work further, deeper into the unreached corners of the world. Now, if we want to see these three things happening, the mission of the church happening among those people groups, well, often the first step is actually just to translate the Bible into their language so that we can preach the gospel among you. See what goes wrong if we just get to the work right away? It's like, we got no ball to play with. <laughs> um, we have to translate the Bible in some cases. There are entire ministries devoted to doing this. Um, the next step is often for missionary teams to begin living among them, praying that some would come over time to trust in Christ. And so I want us to see, this is often slow, painstaking, sometimes very dangerous work. And it can take years even before a single local church is established. But just consider this with me. How else will these brothers and sisters enter the kingdom if the gospel of King Jesus never gets to them? How will they? Now, I want to explain. Um, there are degrees of unreachedness, we'll say, Local churches may disagree on the point at which a particular people group is sufficiently reached and therefore we should move on. All kinds of disagreements about that. I'm not interested in delving into that today. But let's just all agree, based on what we've seen over the last four weeks, it makes sense to prioritize the least reached end of this scale. It absolutely makes sense because the truth is there are still a few thousand people groups that just aren't reached at all 
Not at all. Um, the Joshua Project is a missions research organization that devotes their time just to studying the unreached peoples of our world. And they estimate that there are just under 5,000 frontier people groups. And let me read you their definition of what a frontier people group is. They say, frontier peoples are unreached groups most in need of pioneer church planting. Just most in need of someone to show up for the first time and start doing this. It says they are less than or equal to 0.1% Christian. It's not 1%. 0.1%, and that's less than or equal, to, that's the ceiling, is 0.1% Christian. And it says they are without a known self-sustaining gospel movement. In, in other words, there are no local churches there to do these three things at all. They will never begin happening unless someone else comes. Now, if you add up the people who live just in this people group, the least, least, least reached people group, that population adds up to 1.9 billion people. 1.9 billion. Now, I want to think back on everything we've seen in this series so far, and I want to reflect on this. 1.9 billion people, all of whom belong to our God. All of whom are in desperate need of King Jesus and the grace, the redeeming grace and love of his gospel, all of whom could be rescued out of the raging nations and welcomed into the kingdom, all of whom could be our brothers and sisters, members of the very same body, the church. But none of them will be. None of them will be until someone brings the good news of King Jesus to them. Church, that is what missions is all about. Now, you may be wondering, I anticipate you are, I've wrestled with this myself, what about everything else, right? It's a long list of, of great things, and I just want to say this. There are many great ministries that we can support that do all kinds of God-honoring work in the world, and, and we may support them too as we have opportunity to do that. Uh, I'm talking about things like campus ministries, uh, Bible camps, orphan care, adoption, right? So please do not hear me saying, oh, all of those things are unbiblical, all those things are a waste. That is not what I'm saying. Please don't go tell anyone that either. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, actually, I came to faith in Christ at a Bible camp. I really did. Uh, I'm glad they exist. Uh, I probably wouldn't be here telling you any of this had they not, right? Um, my wife and I are adopting internationally from India. We're working with a Christian agency called Lifeline to do that. We could not do it without them. So listen, please don't mishear me. Uh, there is no end to the ways that God's kingdom can unfold and bring light to this world. We should celebrate all of the ways that God's kingdom brings light to this world. I just don't think it's helpful to throw all of it in a big bucket and call it missions. I hope you can see and start to see why is because this work here, the mission of the church, is the top priority in the New Testament. There's just no question about it. The whole story is moving in this direction. And taking this mission to the unreached peoples of the world is essential even to God's plan of redemption. 
He has told us in his word more than anything else, this is how he uses the church to advance his kingdom on the earth. So next, we're there. I want to talk about how we are going to work together to take the gospel to the nations. I want to share three ways. The first way is this, is by developing, sending, and partnering with missionaries. Now, again, people may use that word differently. I hope you see what I mean by that word. But, but given all the confusion these days about what the church is and what missions is all about, some have come to use that word missionary very loosely as if we all should be missionaries or at least anyone who raises support to do some kind of, of God-honoring Christian work. That's what a missionary is. But historically, that title of missionary has been reserved for people who do this work uh, here. They are sent out by a local church to bring the mission of the church to the unreached peoples of the world. Or, like Dave Simmons in my introduction here, uh, they serve in some kind of essential supporting role to see that work take place. Dave was a pilot who flew those missionaries to the tribal peoples. Another common one is nurses or doctors who care for missionary teams and the communities that they're trying to reach. Another one is even teachers who educate missionary kids on the field. There, there's any number of roles. And so I want to say missions often involves more than just these three things. It often does. There's all kinds of ways to serve, but it should never be less than these three things. It should never be less than preaching the gospel, making disciples, and multiplying churches. And I want you to know, I pray and I trust that God will call people to this work over the years in the life of our church. In fact, I pray that he calls many people to the nations from Redemption Church. Now, whether you're an adult with a family and a career uh, or a single person or even a kid here with your parents today, if you sense the Lord maybe, maybe sort of pressing on you a bit, saying, maybe you could devote your life to this, I want to say, don't dismiss that. Don't dismiss that. Listen to that. Let's pray about that together. I'd love to talk with you about that. Now, now, remember, the mission doesn't just belong to you. All of us are here to follow Jesus with you and to help you discern that call. We want to pour into you to help you to grow as a disciple and as a disciple maker right here in Wauwatosa, right here in Milwaukee. And, and as we do, God may confirm that calling in your life. And, and God may not confirm that calling in your life. This is certainly not for everyone. But for some of you, I pray that as we follow Christ together here, it would become all the more clear to all of our members that God has called you to make disciples among the nations. If he does that, it would be our joy. It would be our joy to send you out to care for you, uh, to collaborate with you, labor with you from afar. So I want to just take a minute to explain here. This is one of the main reasons that we are part of the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is committed to multiplying healthy churches, not just here in America, but among all nations. The largest mission-sending agency in the world is a ministry of the Southern Baptist Convention. It's called the International Mission Board, the IMB. Cliff, who we just saw today, serves with the IMB. 
and by simply giving some of our mission's support to what's called the cooperative program, we are, one, supporting their work in all the world. So this is one way that we actually support taking the gospel to the nations. But this is what I'm most excited about. It also gives us the ability to send members of our church to the nations. And so listen, this is incredible. Uh, if we send members of our church to the IMB and they are assessed and approved as missionaries, the IMB will send them to the mission field to make disciples among the nations fully supported. 100% supported. In other words, they don't have to raise a dime in support. Their support is covered by local churches like ours who give to this cooperative program. And so I want you to see why this kind of cooperation with a larger convention can be incredibly helpful. It is not easy. Let me just suggest it's not easy to send missionaries to the nations. You could probably imagine, okay, there are a lot of barriers and roadblocks to this. Uh, visas, language learning, travel, safety issues. I'm sorry, I can't do that, okay? I, that, I can't add that to my responsibilities. Uh, but this way, in, in partnering and cooperating, even a small church like ours, we could send five, we could send 10 missionaries in the next five years fully supported. It's incredible. The issue is not that we don't have ways to get there. We do. The harvest is plentiful. The problem, right, is that the workers are few. But for those of us who don't go to the nations, which will be most of us, right? For most of us who don't go, I want to encourage us to pray that some will go. To, to come alongside those who consider this calling. And if they do go, uh, let's connect with them. Let's stay connected. Let's collaborate with them. Let's pray for them. Uh, along the way, we may coordinate some short-term missions trips to invest in missionaries like this and to partner with them. Again, that's probably what you, a lot of people might expect this whole series to be about that, right? But what I want us to see is that 8 to 10 Americans who only speak English with matching T-shirts cannot do this work in two weeks' time. You just can't do it. And so this is where we have to start, by developing and sending and partnering with missionaries. Next, we will reach the nations uh, by partnering with native pastors and churches. Partnering with native pastors and churches. Again, the goal here is not to start and multiply churches that we lead. The goal here is to raise up native churches led by the people of these nations. And so my hope is that we can increasingly partner with those native pastors, elders, church planters from around the world. And with digital communication, with social media, with English quickly becoming a very common language that people share, uh, and with relatively cheap travel, this is more possible now than it ever has been. My hope is actually to develop a list of partner churches, both locally here and internationally, uh, that we just have a close family-like relationship with, right? Local churches that we can come along and follow along online, uh, we can pray for them, and we can collaborate them over the years as they uh, devote themselves to the same work that we're trying to do here, so that we can see how God is at work in and through them. Now, now that is starting to sound like the New Testament to me. And that gets me really, really excited. Some of these pastors and elders, I hope, can come and preach here uh, from time to time. It, of course, if they speak English. 
and, and spend time with us in person. I would love to find, and I'm actually looking into a partnership with a ministry that trains native pastors and church planters around the world to do faithful expository preaching. It's to open the Bible, to explain what it means, and to apply it in the life of their churches. I'll hope to share more on that soon. I'm really excited about it. Just before COVID-19, I took a short-term missions trip to Ireland and Scotland. Some of you will remember this with our church planting network, the Pillar Network. It's really interesting. Ireland is actually the least reached English-speaking country in the world. Ireland. Today, less than 1.5% of people profess to have faith in the gospel there. That's just according to the census data. Uh, Scotland is a bit higher than that, but not much, just 3%. And that's compared to about 25% of people in the States who profess to have saving faith in Christ. And if we know, if you just go out in the world, in, in, in our world, and we look around us, we have a lot of work to do here, even, right? So statistically speaking, both of these parts of the world have very few Christians in healthy churches. But this is interesting because of their long history with Christianity, there are still healthy churches there, and we can connect with them and collaborate with them as they work together to plant churches in the same way that we're striving to do. And this is what I hope becomes increasingly normal for us, that we would partner with native pastors and native churches who are doing this work among the least reached. And finally, uh, we can reach the nations by thinking and praying together for the nations. I'll be brief on this but I'm really excited about it. Um, one way that I want to lead our church in taking the gospel to the nations is to just keep the nations on our hearts and our minds. And, and thankfully, uh, this won't be really hard as we commit ourselves to expository preaching uh, because as we've seen in this series, the entire story of the scripture is the story of God redeeming the nations. Uh, this is one reason why we do commit to expository Preaching is to keep us focused on this. But without a doubt, some books will stir up our passion for the nations a bit more than others. And so we will need to use other platforms, I think, to think and pray together for the nations. Increasingly, uh, that will look like times of prayer during our Sunday services or members' gatherings. Uh, occasional visits, maybe, or meet and greets from these missionaries and church planters from around the world. And I'm really excited to share that Ron and I, our pastoral assistant Ron and I, are starting a podcast. It's called Mission Talk. And the goal of this podcast is just to help ordinary Christians, like us, first and foremost, for us, to think biblically about what God is trying to get done in the world and the role that we get to play as a local church in this redemptive work. And so we've already posted three Episodes is just podcasts of us just discussing a lot of the content we've covered in this series, but kind of digesting it a little bit more. You can listen to those now at missiontalkpodcast.org. And along the way, this is what I'm really excited about. We hope to interview pastors, church planters, missionaries, and so on to introduce them to you, uh, to, to learn from them about this work, and to encourage them in their ministry. Our goal right now, we're going to start slow, is just to do one of these a month. Uh, we'll see how it goes. We'd love your feedback. But at the very least, at the very least, I think this will be a helpful platform for us to think together about the mission of the church and to keep the nations on our minds and our hearts on a regular basis. 
I've really enjoyed preaching through the series. I, I hope it's been helpful uh, for you as well. I'm really excited to see how God will work in our church to take the gospel to the nations over the years. To close, I think it's just fitting that we would look together at Revelation 7. This is John's great vision. At the very end of the Bible, here's what he says, heavenly vision. It's on the screen here. He says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. They remember who they belong to. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, in the end, God will get his grand vision. These raging nations that have rebelled against him will remember and turn to him. He will get his new heavens and new earth filled with sinless image bearers who reflect his glory in all they do. But for now, we have a part to play in that. We have a part to play in this unfolding work of redemption. God is calling us right here in these scriptures to take the gospel to all nations. And that is what missions is all about.